SCP-4051, your friendly neighborhood Ketter. In the world of superhero comic books, it's not uncommon at all for a young individual to realize they possess supernatural abilities and proceed to use those abilities to aid the world, often through vigilantism. As they carry out this process, they grow as an individual, expand their abilities, tussle with foes as powerful as they are, and generally struggle with the nature of being a superhero. In the SCP universe, there are no superheroes, but there are anomalous humans. A number of them are monstrous horrors with little rational thoughts left. Some of them actively seek to make the world a worse place. Many of them just want to be left alone, and very rarely one comes along that wants to make the world a better place. It's this last type we'll be talking about today, as we see that regardless of the individual's intentions, it's the Foundation's directive to contain them. Sometimes, though, the Foundation goes beyond that simple goal, and that's when problems really start to arise. SCP-4051 is a young male that possesses the anomalous ability of creating temporary wormholes to extra-dimensional spaces populated by a theoretically infinite number of a unique item. 4051 can then pull the item out of the extra-dimensional space, provided that it can fit through the wormhole. So far, 4051 has demonstrated the ability to manifest a number of items in testing, including a small weighted net, a container of sugar pills labeled as headache medicine, and a glass of drinking water. He has also claimed or been reported to have manifested a number of other items, including an aluminum baseball bat, several rolls of duct tape, an incendiary device and blast-proof sheet, and 11 paracognito hazards. The Foundation discovered 4051 in August of 2012, when a video went viral online of him using his abilities to assault and detain several men. He was identified as Rainer Miller and contained, with a Dr. Roswell conducting an initial interview. Rainer struggles against his handcuffs and assumes them to be from the government. He says that he can make small objects appear out of thin air, and he mostly uses the ability to help people. It started with assisting victims of carjackings and thefts, but recently he's been combating a group called the Looming Shadow, who are stealing money for some purpose, leading Rainer to do nightly patrols. He tried contacting the police, but he believes they've been bought out, and asks if the Foundation could do anything about it. Dr. Roswell says he'll put in a request, and then asks if anyone has seen him use his abilities. Rainer replies that he's tried to keep it quiet, but a few people have seen him. The interview concludes with Rainer stating that he's happy to help the Foundation with them learning about his ability. A few initial experiments are conducted, the first of which involved Rainer being asked to manifest a small cube of lead, an object of his choice, and a container of bleach. After some hesitation, he produced the cube, and then pulled out a framed picture of his mother, and then pulled out the bleach, although he appeared uncomfortable at doing so. The second experiment involved asking him to manifest a copy of the book War and Peace, along with a functioning mobile phone. The book he manifested displayed the words War and Peace on the front cover, but most of the book contained redundant gibberish tangentially related to war, 
with Rainer admitting he was unfamiliar with the book. The mobile phone appeared normal, but was non-functional, and was completely hollow. It seems that his ability is based on how much he understands the objects he's trying to manifest. They decide to do an experiment in which he manifests some non-existent objects, in this case a circular square, the color blue, and a statement that says it is false. Before doing so, Rayner asks when can he go home, because he needs to see his family. Dr. Roswell tells him that his mother has been informed that he's engaging in a school-sanctioned college visit, and he can go home once the Foundation determines that they no longer require his ability for research purposes. Obviously, we know this is a lie, but eventually Rayner complies and manifests the objects. All three objects turned out to be paradoxical cognitohazards, resulting in Dr. Roswell suffering extreme detrimental effects. The new research lead, Dr. Edwards, sends a request for a pediatric specialist to help maintain Rayner's compliance. Immediately after the test, however, back in his containment cell, Rayner manifests several sheets of Kevlar and adheres them to his body with a strong adhesive. He then manifests a bomb in a blast-proof sheet, using both to blow open his cell door. Stepping out, he manifests an aluminum baseball bat and faces a security team, who were told to use non-lethal weaponry, which proves ineffective against his Kevlar. They proceeded to engage in close-quarters combat, quickly subduing Raynor. This escape attempt results in Raynor being moved into a more secure cell, but the site director wishes to continue the testing in order to find out how useful his ability can be. Primarily, the Foundation is interested in an easier and more cost-effective way of producing their amnestics, as the various ways they currently utilize are not ideal, most notably harvesting the primary component from SCP-3000. If Raynor could simply manifest this component at will, he'd easily rank as a high-tier Thaumiel entity. To do this, though, they require Raynor's compliance, so they bring in a therapist to meet with him weekly, Dr. Jane Yesenia. In their first therapy session together, Dr. Yesenia treats him in a very friendly manner, and asks why he tried to escape. Rayner says that he wanted to see his family again, specifically his mother. His dad left them when he was 12, and they've been supporting each other since. He goes on to say that despite wanting to see his mom, he's not opposed to living in Foundation containment, as he was hoping someone would come along to help him understand his abilities. The experiments continue under Dr. Edwards, with Rayner instructed to open a portal to manifest a small stone, but a D-Class will reach in to grab it. The D-Class successfully does so, with Edwards remarking that it seems Rayner's only anomalous trait then is being able to manifest the wormhole itself. If they can replicate his ability, they won't need his compliance after all. The following experiment involved placing a GPS tracking chip in a portal, closing it, and then opening a portal to retrieve the same type of item. The second portal showed the GPS tracking chip being 9,500 kilometers away, meaning that the portals open up into the same dimension, but vastly different locations. It's also noted that the picture of Rainer's mother he manifested during the tests was different than the one previously, with her hairstyle changed and some moles missing from her cheeks. In another therapy session, Rayner expresses his excitement over the experiments, as he would never be able to test his abilities like this on his own. 
The following addenda pertain to a new procedure, referred to as 350 Promethean, which involves Rainer's potential ability to manifest the primary component of amnestics, and if they can find a way to do this without Rainer's involvement. Much of this is expunged, although it does mention that there would be an experimental surgical procedure involved, and the entire thing has been marked as unethical by the Ethics Committee after additional review. In the first experiment to initiate the procedure, the results are expunged by the Ethics Committee, but Edwards notes that Rayner broke the straps on the chair, and says that he's tempted to get it tranquilized during the procedure, but they need it awake. We see the difference in the cold nature of how Edwards speaks about Rayner versus the more caring and sympathetic nature of Dr. Yesenia. Edwards tells her that Rayner's been getting resentful of his treatment here, but she doesn't see that from their conversations. It's important to note that Yesenia has no knowledge of the procedure they're attempting, and Rayner doesn't mention it in their therapy sessions, so she's unaware of how they're treating him. In another testing of the procedure, they successfully completed it, although the results are expunged once again. It seems that Rayner was actually compliant this time, which helped quite a bit. In a therapy session, Rayner tells Dr. Yesenia about some nightmares he's been having related to a past experience with his parents. At a young age, Rayner had been locked in a closet by his father, who proceeded to grab a container of bleach. It's implied that he did something with the bleach to Rayner's mother, while Rayner tried his hardest to break down the closet door. After that night, his father fled and he never saw him again, although Dr. Yesenia tells Rayner that the Foundation actually located his father while they were compiling his file. He's currently in a prison, serving a life sentence for murder, although the news doesn't greatly cheer up Rayner. Dr. Yesenia writes a note that his mental state is really improving, and he seems to be fitting in here, so she hopes this means that Dr. Edwards' experiments are going well. In the next experiment, the results are expunged once again, and apparently Dr. Edwards had some sort of outburst during the test. He notes that Rayner didn't even remember Dr. Roswell, who is Edwards' brother, and asks why he's assigned to him. However, in the following test, Rayner asked for information about Dr. Roswell's condition, but this was denied, as it would likely affect his mental state. Dr. Edwards says that he believes his outburst had a positive effect on Rayner, and that they're getting close to starting work on Project 350 Janus. In another therapy session, Rayner wonders if he's really helping anyone by participating in these tests, as he just hates not being useful. Dr. Yesenia says that she'll file a request with the site director to see if Rayner can help out with maintenance around the site. The request is granted, and we're given a small timeline of events at the site over the following seven months. Rayner helps out with some maintenance, while Dr. Yesenia requests information about Procedure 350 Promethean, which is denied due to her clearance level. Dr. Edwards tells the site director that the procedure has produced enough data to move forward with Project 350 Janus. Later, while Rayner is working on a maintenance project, a large-scale containment breach occurs at the site, with a number of SCPs attacking the armed personnel accompanying him. Rayner assists the personnel by opening a wormhole to manifest fire, which causes a gout of flame to continually flow from the wormhole. He aims this hole at the SCPs to drive them back, 
saving the personnel. Regardless, Dr. Yesenia is ordered to reprimand Rainer for using his abilities during a containment breach, leading Rainer to be barred from any maintenance sessions for two months. Rainer celebrates his first birthday in containment, with Dr. Yesenia requesting a treadmill to be given to him as a gift. This is denied, so a chess set is given instead. Later, Rainer assists in the containment of another SCP that broke out, manifesting a wormhole containing methoxyflurane. A prototype of Project 350 Janus is finally constructed, although it turns out to be non-operational, requiring additional data from Rainer. The following day, Dr. Edwards requests a replacement of the incision tool used in the procedure, which had become extensively damaged by unknown means. A month later, 350 Janus is operational, although it continues to produce a certain redacted object, rather than whatever the Foundation requests. Dr. Yesenia requests a review by the Ethics Committee regarding the procedure, although the request is denied. Even though we know that eventually they shut it down, it seems that for now, the ends justify the means. She also requests access to his medical file, but is again denied due to her clearance level. On May 23rd, 2013, an event occurs that is completely expunged by the Ethics Committee, but on the 25th, Project 350 Janus successfully manifests a requested object, although it becomes non-operational immediately afterwards. The following addendum requires even higher level clearance than this file, but provides a log of a mission that Rainer went along on. Dr. Yesenia wrote an email to the site director in which she says that she can guess what the Foundation is trying to do with Project 350 Janus, and if they really want it to succeed, they should make Rainer feel like a valuable asset to the Foundation. He should be allowed to accompany an MTF in the recovery of a low-threat anomaly, with him being an exceptional asset in the field due to his ability. She admits that she has a certain bias due to having a connection with him, but she does believe that giving Rainer a more active role will be advantageous to the site director, the foundation, and the people giving money to Dr. Edwards for his project. What follows is a recovery log from a mission featuring six MTF agents and Rainer as they investigated a site of confirmed anomalous activity. The site is a building in Chicago with two underground levels, and the Foundation suspects that it's an abandoned nexus for interdimensional travel. Rainer is allowed to accompany the team on the condition that he's been given a slow-burn amnestic, which will wipe out all of his memories of the mission once it's finished. He's also been provided standard exploration gear and a gun with rubber bullets. Entering the building, they find some thaumaturgical symbols on the walls designed to make the building seem unremarkable to outside viewers. They continue to scan the walls and the graffiti, looking for more hazardous symbols. Rainer asks some questions as they go, and the MTF treats him as a new member of the team. They find some more hazardous symbols on the wall, and decide to blow up the wall with an incendiary device. Command chimes in and tells the team to have Rainer do it as part of his trial run. Rainer successfully manifests an explosive, attaches it to the wall, and detonates it, with one of the agents joking that their explosive expert will be out of a job at this rate. 
In the next room, they find many more thaumaturgical runes designed to augment certain objects and individuals, although no one on the team is affected. They continue to search the building and mostly find nothing except more trash and symbols. In the final room of the first sublevel, however, they find a frameless mirror leaning against a wall. One of the agents touches the mirror and finds his reflection staring back at him. He then applies some pressure to the mirror, causing the reflection's arm to buckle and then walk off. Command says that this is not likely the extra-dimensional portal they're looking for, and tells them to search the second sublevel. On the staircase, they hear what sounds like an entity moving around below them, so they prepare their weapons and move Rainer to the back. They descend the stairs, finding a single doorway in front of them, with no graffiti or trash present. As they approach the doorway, a loud screech is heard, and a creature passes by the doorway extremely quickly, resembling a large arachnid with a humanoid head. They believe that the runes upstairs were created to augment this entity, meaning that it possesses enhanced speed, perception, and durability. Their reports of this floor indicate that there's only this small room, a hallway, and a large central room. As they start moving through the hallway, one of the spider entities charges towards them, so an agent equipped with a flamethrower engages it. The creature emits a loud shriek as it dies, followed by several other shrieks being heard from elsewhere in the building, converging towards the team. The team slowly advances as the spiders attack them, with Raynor using his abilities to manifest flames in order to assist the team. They kill a total of ten more before reaching the central room, where they find many more thaumaturgical symbols and a large circular pattern of a red liquid on the floor. Stepping into the room, they see a female child huddled in the corner, wearing a thin white dress. One of the agents approaches, noticing that the child has various injuries on her body. The agent asks her if she's alright and if she knows how she got here. The child says that she was in a library in a faraway place, yet so close, cluing us in that she's referring to the Wanderer's Library, frequented by the Serpent's Hand. She says that she was cast out and kept a prisoner from knowledge, left to lurk in the darkened places beneath those holy shelves. The child begins to stand up, but the agent points her gun at her head, telling her not to. The girl says that they cannot harm her more than they did, even if their bullets could pierce her. The agent is told to take the shot, but upon firing, the girl stumbles backwards with a screech before her body distorts and transforms into a massive spider, multiple times larger than the others. The agent gets knocked down and pinned underneath the spider's writhing body, so the rest of the team attacks it while it regains its balance. Bullets have little effect on it, while flames seem to cause it harm, but are not stopping it either. The massive spider grabs the agent's legs and drags her into the center of the circular pattern before mutilating her lower half, causing her to lose consciousness. The symbols on the walls of the room begin to softly glow, and the floor containing the circular pattern begins to dematerialize. A few seconds later, the floor shifts and becomes a portal to a location showing dirty brick walls in the floor of a tunnel, 
as the spider and the unconscious agent fall through. The rest of the team is preoccupied, however, by the arrival of 20 more spider entities behind them. Despite their best efforts, wiping out 10 of the arachnids, five of the spiders manage to grab five of the agents and drag them into the portal, leaving Raynor with five spiders. Thanks to his ability, however, he manages to survive and take out the remaining creatures. He reveals to Sight Command that he survived because he memorized the symbols they saw upstairs that augmented a creature's traits, and manifested some strips of tape containing the symbols that he attached to his suit. Sight Command tells him to abort the mission, head out of the building, and wait for retrieval. Raynor says that he's going to go in the portal, because that's what heroes do. They disobey their superiors to save the day. Command tells him that disobedience will almost certainly mean he'll never be selected for another mission, but he goes anyways. Sight Command loses connection with Raynor for a short time, but it soon reconnects as Raynor is running down the tunnel. He encounters a semi-physical entity that is currently lifting one of the agents, Morgan, and pushing them against a wall, causing their body to merge with the wall itself. This seems to be causing Morgan an extreme amount of pain, although they are unable to vocalize it for some reason. Further down the tunnel are two halves of an arachnid corpse. Raynor opens fire on the entity with rubber bullets, but the bullets simply pass through it. The entity turns to face Raynor, leaving Morgan embedded in the wall, so Raynor manifests fire from a portal. The fire doesn't seem to hurt the entity, but it does recoil, and its form seems to be disrupted by the light. Raynor tells Morgan to close their eyes, and then manifests something else that causes a bright flash, temporarily disabling the video. When the video returns, the entity is no longer in sight. Morgan can't remove themselves from the wall, so Sight Command suggests removing their arm that's embedded, which they agree to, rather than waiting. Command tells Raynor to try manifesting a laser and using it on the arachnid corpse first to test it. He does so, easily cleaving flesh off of the arachnid and cauterizing the wound. Raynor then uses the laser to sever Morgan's arm, followed by manifesting some painkillers to provide for them. A retrieval team is on its way in to help out, but rather than meeting up with them, the two decide to head further into the tunnel. Morgan says that they're a former member of the Serpent's Hand, and they know some stuff about the Wanderer's Library. They say that the large spider thing they encountered is worse than the Foundation, as far as the library is concerned. They tell Site Command that they need to stop it from breaking back into the library, and tell them to file their reason for breaking protocol as protection of non-combatants. Raynor helps Morgan walk as they continue down the tunnel, and Raynor tells them to not think about the pain, but rather the opposite of pain, although he then says that that doesn't make any sense. Morgan is a thaumaturge themselves, which is likely why they picked this team to test Raynor on, since they were accustomed to some unconventional members. Raynor asks them what it's like to be a magician, and Morgan says that it's great at first, but then eventually someone finds out, and you go to the Wanderer's library because there's nowhere else to go. They say that it's lonely in the library, being trapped with your own self-doubt. They encounter entities engaging in hostilities with one another, 
one referred to as a shroud that hates the written word and wants to absorb literature into the oblivion beneath its fabric. The other, Morgan is unsure of, but believes that it's an entity that rewrites reality. Both are high-level threats to the knowledge contained in the library, so they were sent here instead. Morgan says that combat with them would be difficult, so their goal should be to pass by without being noticed. The two entities continue their fight, eventually causing an explosion, at which point Morgan and Rainer sprint past, although they are noticed. A shriek is heard, and Morgan says that the Shroud is about to absorb them. The two are pulled towards the Shroud, with Morgan attempting to use their thaumaturgical abilities to cancel the effect. They now see that the Shroud appears as a mass of corporeal black tendrils. Raynor lets go of the floor as he's being pulled in, and he manifests a portal containing a series of white tendrils which rapidly approach the Shroud. Upon collision, the two entities disappear, and the tunnel goes quiet. Raynor says that he panicked and thought about how much he didn't want the Shroud entity to be here. The other entity suddenly appears, though, as Sight Command loses connection with the two of them. Upon reconnection, Raynor asks Morgan if he killed that guy, but Morgan says that it wasn't human. Raynor says that he manifested its exact opposite, which seemed to have cancelled out both things, causing neither of them to exist anymore. At this point, Morgan says that they've changed their mind and are now aborting the mission but Command denies the order. It seems that Dr. Edwards has been watching the footage of their exploration and wishes for it to continue, with the support of the site director. The two continue on until several tremors begin to shake the tunnel, so they begin sprinting. As they do, the walls of the tunnel begin to elongate and contract repeatedly, with eventually a massive entity emerging out of the wall of the tunnel. The walls and ceiling of the tunnel warp around it, and it's humanoid in shape, with pure white skin and several runes in a black substance along its forearms and chest. The entity says that it comes as a preventer of misfortune, referring to Raynor as being shadowed in doubt, a thing it has known well. It was a granter of wishes in a previous life, a slave to others by nature, which all came undone when someone said, I wish for the destruction of the Wanderer's Library. Morgan says that it may not prevent their passing, while Raynor suddenly says that he sees no comparison between it and him, although it's noted that the Foundation isn't sure if Raynor said this due to a compulsory effect. The Entity says that Raynor sees himself as a free man despite being entangled in physical and mental bindings. The entity then causes a number of runes to appear in the air, paralyzing the two of them. Raynor responds that he is free, and he knows his own nature, but the entity says that he is crippled by doubt, with a foreign binding compelling his hand. When the entity reaches for Raynor, he manifests a portal of fire, causing it to retract and the black runes on its skin to glow red. Reality begins to distort around Raynor as the video connection is lost. Morgan is released from paralysis and opens fire on the entity, which is now destabilizing. 
It eventually disperses its physical form into the reality distortion around Raynor, causing him to cry out in pain. Morgan retreats to a safe distance while Raynor says that he won't be a slave to this entity as well. The tunnel begins to shake apart as a circle of runes surround Raynor, so Sight Command decides to trigger the amnestic that was previously injected into him. This suddenly causes all of the anomalous phenomena around him to cease, and he falls unconscious for a brief moment before awaking and sprinting down the tunnel, shouting at something to get out of his head. While running, he opens a portal which causes all of the brick walls within 30 meters of him to disintegrate, revealing a large arachnid creature which quickly disappears from view. Raynor chases after it, finding a chamber containing the other agents who are fighting the creature. The massive humanoid entity reappears as well, looming above the group with glowing eyes, at which Raynor tells it to take this, and the log ends. In the following therapy session with Dr. Yesenia, Raynor says how great the mission was that he went on, and how he realized that he can get rid of things by manifesting their opposite, including walls, enemies, and monsters. Dr. Yesenia tells him, however, that his maintenance sessions have been indefinitely cancelled, as they can't risk allowing him out of his cell due to the danger he presents to the Foundation and the world. Rayner says that it makes sense, and he's sorry, but he still wants to help. Yesenia says that he can help just by being here, and more importantly, he needs the Foundation. Rayner says that he knows that, and he thanks the doctor for caring for him. In an email to Dr. Edwards from the site director, he says that the emergency activation of the amnestic caused a near-complete collapse of his mental stability, as well as providing him the insight into being able to destroy anything by creating its opposite. Rainer has been immediately reclassified to Keter, as he could now easily escape at any moment, if he chose to, and they're attempting to refit his containment cell to try and prevent this. The director says that the ethics committee is no longer turning a blind eye to the greater good, and will be immediately reviewing the entire project. In response, Dr. Edwards tells the site director to rot in hell, since it's clear that the director is going to be pinning the entire thing onto Edwards. The Foundation is an organization with overall a noble goal, to protect the planet and its people from the threats inherent in the anomalous. That being said, it's hard to really call them a noble organization, as they so often are clouded in their judgments and decisions when it comes to the anomalous. There is a scenario in which Raynor became one of the greatest assets available to the Foundation, an anomaly that genuinely wished to make the world a better and safer place. The Foundation's short-sightedness, apathy, and in some cases disdain for anomalies, however, led things down a much darker road. Rainer was just a young man that wanted to be a hero, and now he's little more than a monster kept in a box.